This week's episode is brought to you by the Film Rescue Show. The Film Rescue Show is a long-form podcast in which their crew and a guest fix a film every week. Want a good first episode? Check out episode 89 with Axel and myself, where he pitched fixes for the League of Extraordinary Drummond. Still waiting on that call, Warner Brothers. For fans of filmmaking, writing, and behind-the-scenes content, check out the Film Rescue Show on all your favorite podcasting sites today. And welcome to Geeks with Shields, your home for all things good and nerdy in this The Darkest Timeline. I'm Lord Commander Orc, and with me as always is... Is Shield Brother, Axel Wright. How goes it? Uh, stressfully. Finally done moving, but I'm probably, in addition to not getting my deposit back uh, at the, the one place, I probably have to pay more, which sucks, and I just had to pay... Or I, I had to get the motor blower for the HVAC system replaced here. That's going to be expensive, and I just I'm, I'm just stressed about money right now. So, <laughs> oh, the joys of late stage capitalism. How are you? How are you doing? I can't complain. I have beer. Beer makes everything better. <laughs> well, why don't we get right into our patron sound off, my friend? That's right. Our patrons are those wonderful, wonderful people that listen to this and go, hey. They deserve a dollar. And they are Pam Galley, Marquis, Chris Chipman, River Galley, Krug, Arthur Crane, Kevin Vay, Brendan Agnew, John Riddles, Kit, Kenny, Seth Decker, and Jesse Johnson. Now, if you'd like to join that illustrious legion, just head on over to patreon.com forward slash geeks with shields. For only 25 cents an episode, you make sure we keep producing great content just like this. Now are ramping up when you get to like the second half of the list. Like you, you start off and you're like, oh yeah, this is fine. Then you get halfway through and realize I still got a lot of names. Speed up. Yeah, no. You got to work up the Micro Machine Man voice. I'm not quite there yet. I can't launch into it from a dead sprint, but I'm getting there. All right. Anyway, so today we're doing something. I'm, I'm going to get ahead of this. We're doing something that is a twist on something we've done before. If you've listened to us in the past, you know we do something called Director Smackdowns, where we look at all of the uh, movies in a given like director's filmography and figure out what's the most quintessential of them. We're going to be doing something very similar today. And because we're doing a SmackDown, we brought our frequent guest and S.H.I.E.L.D. brother, Chris Chippa. Hey, this is fucking Chris Evans, and we're talking about movies I'm in and shit. Or that. I mean, <laughs> he's a good enough actor. I can totally see that <laughs> that accent coming out of him. So <laughs> he, he can do it really well. I don't know if you've seen those Duncan commercials. He has done, he's done Duncan commercials. All the Duncan commercials. Them. You haven't seen the Smart Pack? No, I've I seen the smart park, yeah. That was him. He's the driver. I have not seen this. Oh, you have to send it to Chris, me. Huh? Chris, does your car have the smart park? Yeah, it's got the smart park. Check this shit out. <laughs> it's wonderful. See, but now because of a previous thing we did with Chris, I'm just imagining Necrons speaking. So I mean, that that's about right. So I'm, I'm psyched. This is going to be great. I uh, I I got scotch. I've got my friends. I'm in the middle of a giant home renovation on my house, and I'm covered in dust, and I can't wait. Let's do this. And uh, with Chris here, the specific flavor of SmackDown we're doing, as you've seen from the title, is the MCU SmackDown, particularly the Infinity Saga SmackDown, which is our first uh, non-director SmackDown. It's like a franchise SmackDown, I guess. Who knows what we might do in the future, but we're experimenting with this, and... You know, Ulrich will probably tell you that because he looks at the behind-the-curtains data and Marvel stuff gets... it works. So people want to hear about it. And I want to talk about it. So here we are. 
Yeah, and one last little caveat of how this is going to work. We're going to do this by phases, and we're doing the Avengers movies in their own separate category, and then we'll combine them all together for one big SmackDown. So this is going to be multi-part. Because there's no way in hell we could have done the entire Infinity Saga in a single, even extended episode. No. Oh, we could, but I don't want to edit that nightmare. We would have tried. right SmackDown it almost. It wouldn't that have was been a fun. nightmare. No. Yeah. Anyway, so because we know uh, the three of us and we know that we run long, especially with conversations like this, let's get right into it, Ulrich, if you don't mind. Fine by me. All right. Round one. Iron Man 2 versus The Incredible Dun, dun, dun. All right. I want to kick us off real quick by saying that uh, I lean Incredible Hulk here, which is funny because I feel like Incredible Hulk is the the bastard stepchild in, in the MCU. Like it gets over yeah. up because Mark Ruffalo came in and basically kind of reinvented the Hulk as a character for the MCU. Oh, okay. Reinvent is the wrong word. If you've been reading comics for a long time, you know totally what Mark Ruffalo is doing. I don't even read a lot of comics. And I know that. But he, he changed the film interpretation of the character quite a bit from what Edward Norton was doing in The Incredible Hulk. But and so I feel like a lot of people ignore it. But for me, like going back and rewatching it, and I yeah, it's not nearly as good as a lot of other stuff that we're going to talk about. But I realized that for me anyway, the way I can make Incredible Hulk really enjoyable was to change what I thought the movie was. And what I mean by that is when I think about it as a superhero movie, it doesn't work for me. When I think about it as a monster movie, it works for me entirely. Does that make any sense? Yeah, that's a yeah. Really, really good way of putting it. Yeah, whereas Iron Man 2, okay, I have no actual real problem with Iron Man 2. It's it's fine. I I actually I don't enjoy it quite as much as Iron Man 1 uh for, you know, a number of reasons, but it's fine. I think Mickey Rourke is really enjoyable and of course Robert Downey Jr is always killing it, but because there are three Iron Man movies, and Iron Man 2 just feels like a tangentially Iron Man move, like the same movie, but just a little different, which is both a good thing and a bad thing. But Incredible Hulk feels a lot more unique to me in that it has that kind of almost like a horror uh, tone going on for half of the run. So you need to watch more horror movies. He does, though. He's hitting the nail completely on the head there, though, because I remember the cinematic experience of Incredible Hulk. Now, do I have this wrong or right? Did Incredible Hulk, Iron Man was MCU Unit Zero, right? Like, they had already yes. made the Incredible Hulk, but it hadn't come out yet, is the way that See, I... There's a lot of there's a lot of debate about that, because Iron Man did come out, I think, a month or two before Incredible Hulk, but I think Incredible Hulk was filmed and finished before Iron Man 1 was. So, yeah, yeah I, I'm not sure the details on this, but I think that's correct. The thing I love the most about Phase 1, and, you know, we're going to talk about a bunch of movies here on this, but the thing I love the most about Phase 1 is that um, the movies all kind of got to live and breathe in their own thing. Like, they, they had connective tissue, and they had some things they wanted to go for. But when we get to, you know, the other ones in this list... Iron Man 2 is the only one that feels like a rehash. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I I, I talk about what Axel said. I Iron Man 2 isn't this great big, you know, awful film that... Because I don't think there is an awful film in the MCU. It's just... It's the only one that feels like it's treading water out of this first group. Um, It's the only one that kind of goes, well, we did a great thing with that first one. And people loved it, so we quickly jumped into making another one and we don't really have anything to do yet um whereas incredible hulk was like 
hey, you know, we're going to give you the Hulk, and it's going to be scary. And I don't need, mean the movies, you know, not like oh god, this is, but it's like the the Hulk is a like like Axel put it, it's a monster. The Hulk is and you know I love to death, and I know this is a controversial point. I love to death Hulk, the Ang Lee movie. It's not good, but I love it to death. Actually, I'm, I'm with you on that. I'm with you on that, Chris. I saw that movie several times in theaters with yeah. different people, and its main problem is that it's really too slow in a lot of places. Yeah. But when Hulk yeah. is doing Hulk things, it's pretty good. But this one, this one, I feel like it's like the streamlined down, like, you know, quick cut 90 minute version, like sizzle reel of that movie through the lens of Louis Leterrier, who, if, if you guys don't know who made Incredible Hulk, this is the guy who made The Transporter and Unleashed. <laughs> and unfortunately, the remake of Clash of the Titans, but also Dark Crystal Age of Resistance. Leterrier just seems to jump into things that like, yeah, I made that. <laughs> you're kind of like wait a minute what the guy's a workhorse and uh so so to me you know even though i really enjoy a lot of iron man 2 iron man 2 kind of feels like a b episode of iron man like if it was a tv show it's like oh he's gonna go and do the friend thing and the buddy thing and the you know the villains kind of not great you know all this other stuff and then incredible hulk just works for me especially going back and seeing everything else that's come the, yeah, the incredible hulk went like like, Ulrich is not wrong that I need to watch more horror movies in general because it's the genre that I have – aversion is not the right word, but it's usually not for me. But I just meant that, like – and I think you're agreeing with me – that Incredible Hulk is not a horror movie at all, but it's using a lot of horror elements. The fact that it's portraying the Hulk as a terrifying bad thing for most of the movie. Like, the Hulk in that movie only becomes, quote-unquote – heroic really in the final confrontation with abomination before that it's like fuck don't let don't let hulk out because this is, that was, it's gonna be bad for everyone so yeah absolutely all right i guess i'll come to the defense of iron man 2 because of the two i like iron man 2 more than i like incredible hulk where i'll throw my vote separate thing iron man 2 though it has the better cast let's let's be honest we get sam rockwell we get don Cheadle. We get more Samuel L. Jackson. We get Scarlett Johansson. We get Robert Downey Jr. We get Greg. Uh, oh no, what's Colson's name? The actor. I'm blanking on it. He's amazing. Yeah, we get him as an actual character. Its biggest problem is that this was the movie that they went. Oh, we might actually make that Avengers movie. Clark Gregg. Fuck. Sorry. Let's. There it is. Clark Gregg. They went. Fuck. We got to start world building. Okay, put Captain America's shield in there. Put shield in there. Put, you know, teases to Thor in there. Put all this in there. So it kind of got buried under a lot of everything. Put War Machine in there, even though War Machine doesn't show up in the Avengers, which is still a crime. Say, I will say you're right, because the only casting in Incredible Hulk that really makes a difference to me is, first of all, I know the reputation of the guy behind the scenes, but I can't argue the fact that Edward Norton, when he comes to play fucking he comes to play oh and he and, was great in this yeah and uh, tim roth I'm a huge my tim roth in general so tim roth is great casting and whoever they cast for ross is a great cast yeah anyway but other than that like it's definitely a well i also feel like incredible hulk is a smaller scale movie in a lot of it's ways when they were still gambling this doesn't work there's there's a couple easter eggs in there but there's still like is anyone actually going to take this connected universe thing seriously we have to sell this out to other studios because you just got to remember still pre marvel as a studio 
Well, that's the thing. You got to remember also at that point that Incredible Hulk was the character that, as far as Marvel is concerned, at, at that point in 2008, was like the most well known Marvel property. Because, you know, he had, like, a television show and, you know, several movies and, you know, Lou Ferrigno and stuff. And with the exception of maybe Spider-Man, like, Hulk was the most well-known, like, Marvel character at that point. Or at least the most bankable until uh, Rob Downey Jr. made Iron Man, like, the most bankable. But and that's the thing I want to talk about. I don't like Edward Norton as Banner. He's not playing. I don't like him as Banner. There's nothing, there's nothing really interesting about his portrayal of Barry, except he's kind of neurotic, which that's kind of Edward Norton. I will disagree with you only because, okay, so first of all, I like I said, I'm a big fan of Edward Norton in general, but I'm also a big fan of like Wes Anderson films. So uh, <laughs> anyway, what's going on, I will say that like I like Mark Ruffalo's portrayal of Banner better, certainly, yes. partly because Mark Ruffalo's had more to work with but even in just the avengers i like that part that what he's doing with the character better but i would say that edward norton is not doing nothing i used to think edward norton was doing nothing with the with the character and but then like again once i started looking at it as not a superhero movie but as a monster movie then the interpretation essentially of banner as literally the embodiment of science gone wrong a man terrified of himself and what he's accomplished and desperately trying to write the wrong that he sees that he committed on not just himself, but the entire world around him. And that is, whereas like, whereas Ruffalo's characterization is a man who's basically accepted the state he's in and is just trying to do what good he can. And the whole, I have to be constantly aware of what I am. So I have to be in control. Norton is the man who instead is vehemently and actively trying to correct what he has done. And he's obsessed with it. It's like that obsession is what, in my opinion, really makes norton's characterization of banner i'd argue that's more on the story they're telling with hulk because i agree incredible hulk is the most comic accurate version of hulk we've gotten where he's a terrifying monster that they just try and hold back and i do love that they hide hulk for the majority of the movie which is brilliant because it's exactly how you you know expensive cgi but also build suspense for your monster but Ultimately, we're coming up against the charisma of Robert Downey Jr. as Tony Stark and the perfect casting that kind of turns out to be versus Edward Norton. Kind of does Edward Norton work as Bruce Banner? So we've had this. We, we've said this before, but honestly, before as we get into it, this comes to me already as a quality of movie versus importance of movie conversation or uniqueness of movie conversation. Well, like with everything I said, I think Iron Man Two is a better constructed movie. Than Incredible Hulk, but I still think that Incredible Hulk is a more unique entity, and, and so and I, I think it's more important because of that. So here's he, here's the way I, I want to look at the two of these, and the way that I think I'm going to look at a lot of these, and you guys don't have to go along with me on this, but the MCU is huge at this point, right? Like we're we're doing this and talking about Phase One with the knowledge that Phases Two, Three, and everything else have come since. Taking these movies together, Iron Man 2 and Incredible Hulk, I, I, I think they're on an even playing field as far as how much I enjoy them um, and all this other stuff. The way I look at it and the way it sways to Incredible Hulk for me is that if you put them up against everything that's come since and try to go back and rewatch them, Iron Man 2 gets lost in the weeds. It gets lost in the weeds of sameness and of the kind of the formula that... God, you know, amazingly John Favreau set up 
with Iron Man. Do you know what I mean? And Iron Man 2 just does more of that. And I remember seeing it in the theater, Iron Man 2, with my brother. He, that's the first screening he ever got me into as a critic. And I was loving it. And him and I, like, both, yeah, looking at it back, it's, you know, the least good Iron Man movie. It's one of the least good MCU movies. It doesn't make it a bad movie. But we dug it. And I remember, like, the critics shitting on it and everything. And I'm sitting there going, I mean, why? It was just more, it, it was like a victory lap. You know, it was just Iron Man being Iron Man again for another movie. But if you look back at going through them, Incredible Hulk still sticks out like a sore thumb, and I don't mean that in a bad way. It sticks out like a sore thumb of uniqueness. It's kind of like the way Black Panther sticks out. I'm not saying quality-wise, you know, but a director came in and tried to do something within the formula that was different. And I don't mean just, oh, I made a superhero movie with you know, African-Americans. It's, you know, that movie has a different feel. It has a different approach than the other MCU movies. And Incredible Hulk does that in spades. And to me, that's why it wins. Even though quality-wise, overall, I'd say Iron Man 2 might be a better movie. I think the Incredible Hulk just stands out more. You know, I think, I think your argument's really good because I feel like if we were doing this and only Phase 1 existed, which is kind of hard to throw myself back to, to 2012. Those heady days. But, yeah, but if I if we were doing it at that point, I think I would have given it to Iron Man 2 without question, because at that point, Iron Man 2 would have felt a lot more, even though it was still doing a lot of Iron Man 1 stuff, a lot of the stuff you pointed out, Ulrich, would have felt a lot more unique at that point. But at, I think Chris is right in that, I'm, in that I'm probably thinking about this with the whole Infinity Saga in mind, which I guess you could say is a good and a bad thing. I mean, we're only doing right now the SmackDown of Phase 1, so whether that is appropriate or not, I think there's a debate to be made either way, but my, yeah, my vote still goes Incredible Hulk, so. Yeah, no, Chris, you summed it up perfectly for me. Like, I like Iron Man 2. It is higher on my list, but across the grand scheme of things, the big, messy, smash em up monster movie is more interesting than Iron Man Part 2. Hold on, we'll get to the Avengers. Right. Exactly. And, you know, to, to, to sum up The Incredible Hulk there, just think about how many movies like The Incredible Hulk, how many superhero movies like that that they've tried to make that have failed where it succeeds. You know, um, how many movies come out that just look like The Incredible Hulk, you know, that are trying to do the, okay, it's a super, they're, everybody's kind of people, but then there's a monster and he's going to fight a big, like, look at how much better what the Hulk has to fight in this movie looks, even though they're both just, you know, bad cave troll knockoffs, how much <laughs> better this looks and how much better it's, it, the scares are done and the intensity is than Batman V Superman. I was Hulk is a one, hard character to get right. Let's be honest. Yeah, I will. So two things I want to add to that. One is when you started saying other movies that have tried to do this, my first thought went to League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Yes. Oh, which yeah. is a far inferior version of what, they're doing and even and even um green lantern yeah green lantern's third act is very similar to this i don't even remember green lantern anymore outside of ryan reynolds said the oath and he said it good he did ryan reynolds is a great part of that movie the the other thing i wanted to say though is i admit that i heard like rumors of i remember i think it was when age of ultron was coming out I heard rumors of Tim Roth coming back to replay Abomination, and yep. I was psyched for that, and I would still love that. But he's anyway. coming back for uh, She-Hulk. Yes, he is. I, I yeah, hope no, it's true. I, 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 this, let's talk about that real quick. The amount of stuff that gets 
abandoned with Incredible Hulk is tragic because Universal will not give Marvel the rights. So it's like, fine, fuck you. We don't want any of that. And it's like, no, no, Abomination. No, no, the leader. No, no, interesting Hulk villains. Come back. You're just the out leader. of the hotel. I forgot they set up the leader and right. I was psyched if, for that. If so. Universal, look at how many things they could do if Universal just gave them the rights and they fought for it, that they're basically going to waste Venom franchises on for us. Right. All right, let's move on to round two, a more interesting, fun thing to talk about. Iron Man versus Thor. Real quick, I forgot that Tim Blake Nelson was was playing the leader. And yep. uh, after watching Watchmen, my opinion of Tim Blake Nelson went so high up that I retroactively am even more pissed off that we don't have Tim Blake Nelson as the leader. Yep. God, anyway. that'd be so good. Anyway, sorry, continue. <laughs> Anyways, Iron Man versus Thor. Now, this is an interesting one because I really like thor for personal reasons and i really like iron man because it's a good movie so but oh, thor you know is two-thirds of a good movie thor is two-thirds of a good movie i will say that the beginning I mean, and the end a are great a good movie too so <laughs> yeah iron man has similar problems i i'm gonna let you guys hash this out because i don't know where to go thor two-thirds of a good movie the beginning and the end are great but like we talked about in our uh, episode the fatal Thaw, flaw of thor they were so afraid of being too weird that they really shackled they, they cut thor at the ankles like no 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 magic we're gonna reduce the whole mysticism we're gonna reduce the whole gods we're gonna bring it to low. they stripped off all the kirbyisms that made thor awesome first of all i know that the general consensus and i've i've heard for instance chris's brother mention this a few times is that iron man is seen as being a really good first two acts and falling off in the third act an argument that doesn't really work for me since i actually really quite dig the third act of iron man but me too uh i, I like I, it but i like iron monger i think he's a really good I representation do too. Iron but, Man is fighting. So, and then and with Thor, I hear what you're saying, but I actually like the middle part of Thor a lot because I love the idea of Thor. It's not bad, but person. New Mexico so, is not Asgard. Okay, I'm sorry. I agree. Deserts now, and plains are not as fun to look at as future Vikings. So now, that whole my, movie should have been Asgard. Now yeah. both of these movies are are okay. So unlike with Iron Man Two and Incredible Hulk, where one was a sequel and one is not, Iron Man and Thor, we literally have all right. We've got two origin story stories. They're both doing in a in a sense a lot of the same things, but they're tonally pretty pretty different. Uh, I love the fact that Iron Man is much more tongue in cheek. Uh, Thor is much more Shakespearean. Certainly, I think that. All in all, I think I enjoy Thor more because I really am a I'm a fan of Shakespeare a lot, and I'm a fan of Kenneth Branagh's style a lot. I think Iron Man one might be a lot more indicative of what the MCU would come to be than Thor is because of a lot of that tongue in cheek stuff, which is especially impressive when you consider that they basically didn't have a script to work with, and most of the movie was made by improv and editing. I have a really hard time with this one for for those kind of reasons. I think, personally, when it comes down to this conversation, I think Iron Man 1 is probably more important to the MCU, the Infinity Saga, than Thor is, even though I like Thor more. Like, while Thor did expand things to get to that kind of galactic scale, Thor is... Honestly, I almost feel like I'm going in the opposite direction here from the Iron Man 2 versus Incredible Hulk because I think Thor is more unique in the MCU than Iron Man is again because that kind of Shakespearean feel wasn't really replicated I think in any other movie even its own sequels don't feel 
the same as Thor to me. Ragnarok, obviously, and Dark World, less obviously, but it does feel different. Whereas Iron Man was basically the proto, the prototype for a lot of what was going on. I mean, there's a reason why we make jokes about Doctor Strange and Captain Marvel just being Iron Man again, but with something tweaked. Like, that's what it did. So I'm leaning towards Iron Man, even though I like Thor more. What do you think, Chris? Wow. So this is this is an incredibly hard one. And I'm thinking back to arguments that we've made on other episodes where we've talked about if we were going to look at the MCU the way we looked at, like, Steven Spielberg, you know, and said, okay, there's things in the cinematic universe of the comics that before any of these movies existed, you know, you'd get your one-off Spider-Man. DC would get their one-off Superman. They didn't have a whole bunch of movies after this to go and build their universe and bring the shit out of the comics. If you lose Iron Man, okay, you still have Tony Stark in every other freaking movie, basically. He even shows up in a Spider-Man movie just to, you know, remind you that Tony Stark is awesome. The story of Robert Downey Jr. coming out of basic, like, career hell and becoming Iron Man is an incredible one. And it is the reason why the MCU succeeds, in my opinion. But Iron Man, just like Iron Man 2, set a precedent that, all of the movies replicated and replicated great because it was a great movie. But I feel like if you lose the original Iron Man as a setup for Tony Stark, you can do that in backstory at the beginning of the Avengers, or you can do that with Iron Man three being a different movie than what they made. If you wanted to, let's say, but I feel like you cannot introduce the bonkers weirdness of the visual style that Kenneth Branagh saw and took out of the comics and put on screen that showed up in Thor. And like like Axel said for his argument in the other direction, there is nothing else in the MCU quite like Thor. And because of that, I think removing it, it doesn't give us that Shakespearean, like the Avengers doesn't work as well if we didn't see Thor and Loki interact in this movie. Do you know what I mean? And I know well, that we I, say, I, okay, sorry. they have all this other stuff to go off of, you know, that's fine. But there's something about the self-seriousness of the way Brana handled this film, even though the middle part is basically just Masters of the Universe, which is fine. I really enjoy it because Chris Hemsworth is so goddamn charismatic. Yeah. But, but well, I didn't, by the way, real quick, I did not even consider you, you touched a nail. Something really important to me, the idea of if you remove, like if we just think about phase one capping with the Avengers, do any of are any of these movies like absolutely required watching for Avengers? Now, honestly, the answer is no. Avengers is really good at setting up everyone, but what movie is the well, most required to get you into the Avengers? And at least in the conversation of Iron Man versus Thor, I think you're absolutely right that Thor's completely off the wall idea of hey, Norse gods are real and it's also aliens and look at this crazy like future tech that's somehow spears and stuff like that would feel a lot more out of nowhere than essentially super superhero elon musk with morality <laughs> so if you go God, Tim, don't ruin iron man if you go from iron man to avengers and 
Thor and the Incredible Hulk and Captain America are done as sizzle reel bits like they were in Batman v Superman. The Avengers doesn't work. You need the Incredible Hulk to give us what the Hulk feels like in the MCU. Yeah, um, part of the fun is seeing Ruffalo show up and turn that into what he turned it into. But if the Hulk wasn't there before, we wouldn't have been able to buy Ruffalo. Thor sets up an entire part of this universe that none of these other films in this series, in this phase, touch on. Captain America, the first Avenger which is the one we'll be talking about in a minute, does bring in the magic and the mysticism and the everything, but it sets it in a very grounded in the, you know, um, earth. Um, Thor, Thor takes us somewhere else. Can I also add that yeah. Thor is, because I'm going to, spoilers, Captain America, the first Avenger, is my personal favorite of any of these movies. I agree. But, but Thor does something, in addition to being the only Shakespearean one, which is important to me because, again, I like the theater, Thor is, I think, almost inarguably the most comic book-ish of Phase 1. Mm. And we can have this argument in a bit, but to me it yeah. feels like Thor is the one that most sets, like, a tone of anything can happen and anything is possible. Even with it being kneecapped, as I totally mean or totally in agreement that they they kneecap Thor pretty they early did. on. And they don't really embrace him as God of Thunder until Ragnarok. But but even with that considering the basic idea the, the opening sequence of Thor of hey, let's watch the you know the frost giants own telling this crazy story and, and you know all like it it just explodes into possibility and feels like the kind of world that a comic book creates in a way that I don't feel, at least in this case, Iron Man does at all. Like Iron Man's a great movie, in my opinion. I will, I actually think, that, like I said, I like the third act, but Iron Man feels almost like someone just took a James Bond movie and just amped up a few specific stuff. Like it was kind yeah. of already in a cinematic space. Whereas Thor is going way farther back to things like, you know, Flash Gordon or He-Man and, and being like, this is now a space that we can also work in. So, Gentlemen, this is going way too smoothly. We're in agreement like two out of two times already. I had a whole argument lined up for Thor, but we basically gone like, no, for as held back and restrained as Thor is, it's bug nuts and fun enough that it kind of makes Iron Man look like... Yeah, they were kind of playing it safe there, weren't they? Where Thor, again, for as you know, held back as it is, still has a magic rainbow bridge and a giant destructor suit for the second to third act. Yep. And I feel bad not voting for either Iron Man movie because, like I said, Robert Downey Jr. is is I think it's inarguable that he was the face of the Infinity Saga. There's a reason, yeah. as Chris pointed out, that yeah. Tony Stark is in everywhere. He keeps showing up. He's well, like. The thing is, there is no MCU without Iron Man. We This would not have happened without Iron Man, right? They wouldn't yeah, have if had... Iron Man had flopped, they would have pulled the plug. But there's no Avengers. That movie does not succeed without Thor. And that's the way I look at it, is that... Well, especially, Avengers, sorry, especially with Loki. Continue. The Avengers, to me, is is the success story we're leading up to with this phase. Do you know what I mean? And... Mm -hmm. If that movie failed, we'd be talking about five movies. Yeah. Do you know what no, I there's mean? A, there's and a it, fun quote I, I want to put in real quick from uh, Tom Hiddleston, who described Loki as 
the character i built the character like a boat in the first half of you know thor i was laying out the plans in avengers i got to realize the plans i had laid yeah you know the more we talk about it the more i think that chris is hitting the nail absolutely on the head there that even though and I'm, i'm getting ahead of myself here but even though captain america is my favorite movie easily of the of the the first phase i think the fact that Thor sets up the entire groundwork for the Thor-Loki relationship and Loki being our Avengers villain. Yeah, I think that that is absolutely right, that Avengers needs Thor more than any of the other movies to function. Now, (laughs) bringing my argument full circle with Thor versus Hulk. Because we have agreed in the background, listeners, uh, Ulrich keeps track of what's going on, and basically this conversation, we're like, yeah, okay, Thor wins versus Iron Man. Sorry, Iron Man and Iron Man 2. And it's, 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 this is what makes these things really interesting, is it, you can put things in a list all day long, but until you do this, it, it never turns out the these way you These always go weird directions, and so, I love them. So Thor and Hulk, because of a couple of points. Ulrich, Ulrich or Axel, I forget who made the point that before any of these movies <laughs> exist. We're not drinking, ladies and gentlemen. We swear yeah. we're sober. Before any of these points existed, our films existed, the general public probably would have recognized Hulk over any of these names. Only because it, he's the most unique, right? Everyone else is kind of just superhero white guy number three. We had a Hulk, long, long TV show. Yeah, Hulk is a big green monster and, and, you know, had a long TV show. Exactly. So you can introduce Hulk the exact way they introduced Mark Ruffalo and the Hulk in the Avengers. Do you know what I mean? Complete with like Scarlet, uh, not Scarlet Witch, um, Scarlet Johansson looking for him at the beginning. They give you a pretty good because they kind of had to remind you that it's not Edward Norton. They they did a very good job of kind of giving you the idea of what's going on with Hulk as the Avengers starts off. But I say again, without the Thor film, nothing in Avengers involving the conflict of Loki and what went down with Thor and why Loki would be acting this way is going to work. And because of that, you just you Hulk has to go, in my opinion. Here's, here's what I will say in defense of that, because I, I totally agree. I will say, though, that and this is hard for me because since I'm such a big Norse I'm a Germanic neo-pagan. I don't know how well-known Norse mythology is in the general public before the MCU basically made everyone have a slight understanding of it. I know Greek mythology is generally well-known, but I don't know how well Norse mythology was well-known at the time. So I'm trying to think of like, all right, let's assume for a sec Thor doesn't work. We No argument, we lose the emotional core of the Thor-Loki dynamic in Avengers, and that's a big reason why Thor is necessary. But the fact would remain that Loki and Thor being figures of an external mythology, there would be, in a similar way to what you've just described with Hulk, an ease point of access for for an audience. And I can imagine an audience that's like, oh, Loki, I, all I know about him is that he's the, the Norse god of mischief, right? So he's he does, he does things like that. So, and there's a way you could probably introduce him in that regard you know well think think i i agree think about you know diving back into and and i i pay attention to a lot of this stuff having done the blockbuster stint for so long you kind of get used to the way the general public remember thor and hulk we're talking about here now this is four movies at this point iron man iron man 2 thor and hulk the Avengers is going to come out. We're about to talk about Captain America, the first Avenger. The general public 
getting ready and amped up to go see Avengers because that became such a cultural, this is the thing you got to see. This was, you know, talk about any big movie thing. This is the thing everybody's getting out of school, going with their friends, telling their parents they have to go to. This is not the MCU we're dealing with now where, you know, somebody's, you know, weird uncle that they only see at dinner on Thanksgiving is sending them text messages asking about what the thing in WandaVision meant. You know, everybody, (laughs) everybody is in on it now, even if they didn't care. When this came out, the movie everyone skipped was Thor. And I, at the time I knew that Thor, Thor, Thor did well. But Thor was the kind of movie that before the Avengers came out, I remember most people I knew that weren't like already into these a lot said, oh, I got to go back and watch that Thor movie. Was it worth it? You know, and then they peep. What I find is that when people went and saw it, the vast majority of them ended up loving it. And especially with the Avengers, they get the, oh, I get this now. This makes sense. And the Shakespeare in the park jokes and everything make even more sense. You know, and it's just a good time. But I feel like, you know, Thor can show up and people are going to go, why the fuck is Thor here? Thor is not a superhero. Thor is a god. Hulk shows up. People go, yeah, it's just the Hulk. We don't have to explain that. (laughs) You know, and that's the way I look at it. God damn it, Chris. Quit making my arguments for me. I agree. I just wanted to make the, the, the point, I guess, devil's advocate that because Thor and Loki at least in basic idea are public domain kind of characters that there might have been like an understanding there. But I do agree with you in general. Actually, completely. I just wanted to make the point. So No, he's well, making two good arguments. I don't even hey, have to say hey, anything. It's just like, hey, yeah, see Chris's ready? point. We can add some controversy then. Are you ready? Oh, God. Does no. Thor's existence make more Nazis want to take on the Norse mythology or less? Oh, get the fuck out of here. Huh? <laughs> Sorry. Uh, I am not equipped no, no, no. to handle that tonight. <laughs> hey, hey, you said you wanted someone to shake it up. <laughs> I did not say anything. I said you said this is going to all the yeah. All I said is you're doing all the arguing for me because it's just you're saying literally everything I've prepared, and I can't really step in to argue Hulk because I don't have any arguments prepared for Hulk. Thor, I can argue Hulk. He he's not my guy. Yeah, you're here like no no point A B C D E. I rest my case, Your Honor, and I'm like, well, let me tell you. Yeah, I mean, honestly, again, I really like the Incredible Hulk, but I feel like the main reason why Incredible Hulk won in the Iron Man two debate was because of its uniqueness and being, you know, a very unique thing. But as we've established, Thor is also an extremely unique movie. And when you're comparing Thor to Hulk, I don't think there is anything that Incredible Hulk does that is important to the Infinity Saga that isn't also done by Thor. So, and done in a more important way, as Chris has established with the distinction between the Thor character and the Hulk character. So, yeah, I think it's Thor. All right, let's get to the I, real. I would not have pegged this debate. before we started talking. Right, yeah, so gonna... yeah. Well, honestly, I thought Iron Man one was going to be the the big the big, but yeah, that's Our... everyone's go to. Everyone loves Iron Man, but I think everyone loves Robert Downey Jr. Actually, is what no, that's based and, off. And of. Iron Man is great. Iron Man is just great, but like it's a solid like B great. You know, right, the interest. In the interest of conversation, though, because after all we've talked about, I'm honestly really still heavily leaning towards Thor to win this entire conversation. So I want to hear the Captain America first Avengers Ah. arguments. Because, again, that's my favorite Phase 1 movie. I probably like First Avenger more than Avengers 1, honestly. Uh, Close second for me. I agree with you. 
but I think mm-hmm. the arguments we're making are making a painting a really good picture for the importance of Thor as a movie to well, the entire Infinity Saga. So I want to hear the Captain America arguments. Well, who wants to go first? I'll go first because you're going to steal my argument. Okay, that's what I was thinking. So <laughs> Captain America is tricky because Captain America. How do you make such a? I don't want to say jingoistic because that's not the correct word. Possibly one note character work because way back. Sorry. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I don't know if that's a deep cut anymore. But anyways, if you don't know, go look that up. Way back when Spider-Man, the Sam Raimi trilogy was kicking off and we first got like, oh, they're doing superhero movies. I remember having a conversation with my brother going, they're going to do Captain America next because post 9-11 patriotism is high. Why wouldn't you do a Captain America movie? So Captain America kind of comes burdened with that whole, he wears the American flag, he's super corny, he probably watches Fox News, everything, preconceptions. Because I don't think many people knew Captain America as a comic book character before this. He was like C-tier in, yeah. in the days before Captain America. And then they're like, but we're also going to make it a prequel set in the 1940s, which a lot of people went, are you sure about that? And then like, and we're not going to do Nazis. And everyone went, really? The easy go-to punching bag? You're not going to do them? So Captain America kind of has all these big things stacked in front of it. And it worked. Like Chris Evans is a great Captain America. Like he gets Captain America from the get-go. He is this good, you know, positive well-meaning, oh gosh, oh shucks guy that I feels inter- genuine. Can I interject for a second to say that um, while Robert Downey Jr. basically uh, cr- created the interpretation of Iron Man in the public consciousness, which is related to his comic interpretation, but really is like his own unique thing, Evans, I think, is possibly the greatest casting of a superhero character oh. ever. Like the the yeah. only comic book character I could think cast better is is uh, J.K. Simmons as J. Jonah Jameson, but he's yeah, not a yes. superhero. So <laughs> let's talk about that. People were going, wait a second, you're casting the guy from the human, the, you know, Fantastic Four, the Human Torch is going to play Captain America. I don't think so. Legitimately, that was an online controversy. There, yep, it's out there. Go search the archives. So you yeah, look that, at that's just all like the Heath Ledger thing as well. With anyway. <laughs> Nerddom was still young and angry. Not saying it's not angry now, but it's old and angry, which is different. We've won and we're pissed that we won. Yeah. Good point I there. wanted all my stuff to be on screen. Now stop putting all my stuff on screen. <laughs> well, yeah, stop I, I giving my to stuff briefly, to people that I don't want. I, I just wanted to really hammer home the point that while there are plenty of casting that turned out to be like, basically perfect like Hugh Jackman as Wolverine even though he's not comic Wolverine at all or or Tobey Maguire as Spider-Man I still will defend that like yeah, but uh, I feel yeah. like I feel like Chris Evans really is I I think that if, if someone made an argument that he is the best cast comic book character that's a hero ever I would be able to like I don't know if I don't know if I agree but I can get behind it is my point he, he approaches Christopher Reeve and yeah. that's and coming from yeah. me, that's a big fucking deal. I was just like two days ago telling a coworker, I was like, there's only one good Superman movie, and that's a tragedy. And of course it's the Christopher Reeves. Sorry, rant. Well, well no, you get the parallels. These are hard characters because they are genuinely good 
people. It's, it's and how do you portray that on screen? Yeah, and portray it on the screen without it being corny. And I don't mean, I mean, or unbelievable. Yeah, like no, so, no, that's an act. So there's a few things going on here, and um, Axel touched on something that I'm going to come back to, but it's the depiction of comic book on screen. Um, I think it's a big part of the argument I have for these two movies. Um, but also, I just want to say, isn't it incredible what we're dealing with here? Leaving out the Incredible Hulk, because even though I feel Norton was great, I feel Ruffalo is the perfect version of Bruce Banner, and it, it's just fucking awesome, and I, I love it. But Robert Downey Jr., Chris Hemsworth, and Chris Evans all embody such a perfect iteration of what they're trying to play. Evans is still up on top because, like we said, that character is just too damn hard to interpret. Hemsworth, I feel like, between Thor and the Avengers and Thor 2 and Thor Ragnarok, he realized and they realized, holy shit, this guy's funny and we have to double down on that. Well, also, that if, I can, if I can interject for just a moment, sorry, yep. because Org and I have talked about how we love Hemsworth's version of Thor partially because Hemsworth has really, like, let me put it this way. Part of what makes Robert Downey Jr.'s Iron Man so great is he figured out what was good about it and then, like, really honed in on that. Yep. And, you know, he explored it, but it was mostly a hone-in process. Whereas what I feel like Hemsworth is doing with Thor is literally exploring almost completely different characterizations like every diff every different movie, whether it's a Thor movie or an Avengers movie. He he's taking on something almost completely different. And while all of them feel like Thor, none of them are, at least in my opinion, really comic book Thor, which is yeah. not a bad thing or a good thing. It's just an observation because comic book Thor is much more, I am the God of thunder. Fear my mighty fist. And that characterization has never been shown in Hemsworth's performance, which is fine. I'm not saying he should. I'm just pointing out that that is, an interesting observation compared to the other actors playing their characters. Yes. No, that's great. And it's, it, it's interesting because Evans is just portraying pure good Captain America. And when we get into other movies, he ends up being, because they do a lot of it here, right? This movie starts with him, you know, having to bend the rules to get, to become, you know, a, uh, of soldier. And so there's this, it's not necessarily that I'm following what the world and the government tells me to do. It's that I'm good. It's not their good. It's my known genuine good. And that becomes really important later when he's faced with, Hey, your government's actually kind of fucked up. And he's not like rah, rah patriot at this point. They do some of that in this movie and they do it a hell of a lot more later on. But I mean, how perfect is it that one of the, in my opinion, one of the most defining lines of the character period is the, I don't want to fight anybody. I just don't like bullies. Yes. You see what I mean? It's pure goodness. And him and Christopher Reeve, I think are the only two actors portraying superheroes that are supposed to be purely good that have figured it out. And coming back to these two movies up against each other, it's really great that we ended up with these two because you said earlier, Axel, Thor, out of everything we talked about up to this point, is the most comic-accurate-looking version of one of these things that we have. It's fucking nuts. But Thor is a mess. And I don't mean that that makes Thor bad. 
Thor is trying a whole lot of very ambitious things that don't always congeal into a perfect whole. You've got Kenneth Brana and his pompous, large Shakespearean crap that's just wonderful. Sometimes goes over audiences' heads, but it's perfect for Thor. You know, you've got the look and the story we talked about. Are, are they cutting Thor off at the legs? You know, there, there's some of that. Captain America, the first Avenger, in choosing Joe Johnston, the rocketeer fucking Joe Johnston, um, to direct it, you could not have handed this to a person more capable of making this movie. Captain America, the first Avenger, is not just Captain America, the comic, jumping out of the page onto the screen. It is, in my opinion, the most comic book film uh, in the MCU. There's definitely into the Spider-Verse and things that are outside of it that we can argue. But Captain America, the first Avenger, notice I say comic book film. Four is comic accurate. Captain America, the first Avenger is a comic book film. They adapted a comic book into a cinematic vision that you can look at and go, that's fucking Captain America. And so, so what's funny about that, real, real, uh, sorry if I keep interrupting you. That's all right. So like, so like there's a terminology that's popped in my head while you were talking in that my favorite movie that is an origin story is Sam Raimi's Spider-Man. Yes. But I think the best origin story movie is Captain America, the first Avenger. If that exactly. Makes sense. And it's all in the terminology because is Captain America, the first Avenger, like a perfect depiction of the Captain America comic? No. I mean, it takes some liberties. It changes and stuff, not having Nazis there and making it Hydra, you know, only with the insignia and it, it's all things to sell toys and stuff like this. But what Johnston and Evans did is they created a universe. This movie does more world building for where Captain America came from. And we talk about Thor did cool world building. Well, no, Thor showed us Asgard. That's not necessarily world building, but it's still really cool. They showed it to us and it's weird. Captain America, the first Avenger feels lived in the, the world that Thor is ex uh, that the Captain America is existing in that version of the United States. It's a period piece, but it's like a hyper realized, almost like the way the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen kind of looked. It's a hyper realized version of the past, and it's just it works. It has the villain in a volcanic lair. It's got big over the top action sequences that never could actually work. It was doing something that. You know, Thor took us to space to be able to say this stuff could happen. Captain America said, no, there's humans on Earth that can be super. You know, Iron Man needed to put on a suit to do it. The Incredible Hulk needed to change his biology to do it. Captain America, yeah, there's a biological change, but at the end of the day, it's still his heart that's the superhero. And this movie... We're, we're pitting two movies up against each other that Thor is the setup for the Avengers that it doesn't impact without the characters of Thor. If we don't love Captain America when the credits roll and we see him wake up in that end credit sequence in Times Square, if that does not work with you as an audience member, the Avengers, it's just another Iron Man movie. So here's, here's something that I'm thinking of when I'm, when I'm thinking about the, the arguments you just made, because a vast majority of it, of what you've just said, I completely agree with, but it feels like their arguments towards why Captain America First Avenger is a better movie, not a more important one. Mm -hmm. And it feels like part of the, the part that doesn't fit that thing, the things you said that do feel like it's importance, actually stem more from effect than what it is. And what I mean by that is oh. 
we we've established that Thor by I'm because I'm going to take you at face value here. Thor was the least watched of Phase One, meaning that even everything we've accepted about Thor in the previous arguments, its effect on the populace was smaller than the other ones. If what we're if if we take that at face value, and yet people still like got really into the Avengers and then had to go back and watch Thor. Yeah, I feel that, like I feel like Loki made people want to watch Thor. Is, is yeah, what I, <laughs> exactly. So. I feel like what we're discussing now is that Captain America vs. Avenger is a better movie, is a, uh, a, that impacted people more, that if we look at the impact of people is more important, if we strip away that and look at it in the text, as in, there's no such thing as objective, we all basically agree. Yeah, of course. If we look, if we had our best look at what happens in these movies, it looks like Thor, really, from all intents and purposes, is more important. But that isn't really what reality represented. And I feel like that's a really hard thing to well wrap around. So then so then do we talk about MacGuffins? So MacGuffins versus physical human beings. Um, and I use human beings lightly because we're talking about space um, gods. But Thor brings in characters that are really important like right and this is this is why i like um these movies way of filmmaking more than the jj abrams way of filmmaking is um even though i like a lot of his movies the tesseract is the thing that captain america the first avenger outside of giving us chris evans and the idea of hydra which comes way after the avengers you know being important and i know that we've talked about this in the grand scheme of all the phases but um you know these it's just a MacGuffin. It's not a person, and yeah, whatever. We're gonna chase around a box, and who really cares? And yada yada yada. But the Infinity Stones become important. But let me just say, Captain America: The First Avenger, watching it as a film, taking in the characters, taking in the you know, Captain America loses Bucky, and Captain America kills himself to, or supposedly kills himself to kill the Red Skull, and has to lose that relationship, which we get to see rekindled at the end of the very last fucking movie. Like that shit emotionally hits more than anything in Thor. Um, when I sat in a theater and watched the end of the first Avenger and it said, Captain America will return in the Avengers. The audience went fucking ape shit. They did that at the end of Thor. Not really the same reaction. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. That's less what I'm trying to say is that like in the text, what happens to Thor is more important, but in the reaction of the people, I think is what you're trying to get, is that, like, it almost feels though like you're saying that the reaction to Captain America was in some ways a litmus test for yeah. what would be the reaction to the Avengers. And I guess that's where I'm struggling right now, is that, like, all of this I agree with, and yet I still haven't heard anything to really convince me that in a post-Endgame uh, setting... Is Captain America more important to the MCU than Thor? I still haven't been convinced of that, even though I agree yes. with everything you're saying. So no, this is great, and and I, and again, well, I'm searching, and that's that's what makes it fun because I I'm on the fence with this. Like, even though the first Avenger is is my favorite of these, the fact that these are teamed up against each other, and the argument I'm trying to use is how important because that's what we talk about, right? If one goes away. The, the key word here is quintessential. The point that we usually, the, 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 that we come back to all the time in these is, the idea is, 
if we show one of these movies to a person, just one, to give them an idea of what they're getting into with normally the director, in this case it would be, I'm showing you one movie yep. to give you the idea of phase one before I move to some, some theoretical universe where you can only watch one movie from each phase and one in like the Avengers movies or something. Then what is the one movie that we show someone to be like, this is what phase one is. Okay, you know, using that, Captain America be. wins. No, I, I think it's a different way if you use it that way because I think you can watch the Avengers and get an idea of who Captain America is without watching this movie. Uh, Captain there's, there's, there's America is a better well, beginning a, to end, though. There's a it very, is. It is. And one is because one con- one conversation is I show you this one movie. And then you watch the Avengers, and that's what's the most important movie in order to watch the Avengers. I think, and I think we've all agreed that's Thor. But the other side of it is, I show you one movie. We're not even talking about the Avengers. I show you one movie that gives you the most complete picture that one movie can of what Phase One is. Ah, yeah. And okay. That so conversation is Captain here's, America. Here's why Captain America wins. Then, you ready? I'm listening. It's two things. One, Thor takes us to space. Thor takes us away from the Earth. These stories at the end of the day are still work because they they take us down to the ground level. They take us to the human interest part of it. And I don't mean that they're, they're not necessarily what the characters are and all that, but we've dropped Iron Man movies out of this. We've dropped the Incredible Hulk out of this. Captain America has the tie back to Tony Stark in the history of the United States and the world and what brought us to needing the Avengers. Thor doesn't do that because Thor is focusing on something going on in another place, drops him on this planet and shows how he can be helpful to this planet. But it's still Thor's Asgardian thing that doesn't really become a problem for Earth on the Armageddon level until Loki shows up in the Avengers and makes it about that. If we don't see the world through world war two and see that Tony Stark's father was involved or, you know, you know what I mean? In creation of um, this, he's the one that finds the Tesseract. If we don't get that introduction, that is a point on a family tree of film that ties this to every single film and every single other emotional beat. That thing with Peggy Carter that I talked about, all of these things are injected in the rest of the movies where Thor is kind of, waiting to team up with the guardians of the galaxy for Thor love and thunder for us to see exactly, you know, where his connective tissue really brings us to. Can I, I just, I just thought of something too, that, that you, your argument made me think of something I think is really good as well, which is we've, we've said, and I still believe that Thor is the most important phase one movie to the Avengers, but Captain America is definitely the first Avenger is definitely more important for the emotional impact of Captain America 2 and Captain America Civil War, which I know are direct sequels to it, but I feel like where Thor is really important to the Avengers, Thor 1 isn't really important to any other movie down the road than the Avengers. Yes, I mean, yes there's a there's a causality chain yes. there that can't be and, But and, Captain and, America has more of a direct... The ending scene of Civil War will be emotionally impactful, really, only if you've seen Captain America 1. <laughs> there you go. And and not only that, there's a reason why the Captain America sequels 
unlike any other MCU sequel, are basically mini Avengers films. It's because Captain America's story cannot be told without how it impacts these other people. You can have a Thor movie where, oh, I'm just going to be, you know, chasing around, you know, this for, for a movie like, like Thor 2 and have it not really feel like it needs to include the other people. Basically, and this, when we get into Civil War, I love Civil War to death. That movie's fucking great. But my one problem with it is it basically just should have been an Avengers movie. You know, it, it is a Captain America movie through and through, but it's a damn Avengers movie, too. And it, it's just funny because I think that, like, we, we had this distinction of the is what is indicative of the phase versus what's important to the phase. And I think that's an important like we didn't come down on which one of those arguments is actually more important. But no. but if if we add as a third important to Infinity Saga. So now we've got three categories I think Captain America wins two of those categories. Right, and I would also argue that our argument of Iron Man 1 and 2 not needing to be making it this far still holds up because Iron Man's important to the Infinity Saga is set in stone in the Avengers. Yeah. I think I, I get what you're saying. But I think that this idea of these three categories, I think we need to keep this in mind going forward because that's going to really help me frame how I how I lean, I think. Ulrich, you've been a bit quiet. What, what do you think about what we've been talking about? You guys are doing all the work for me tonight, and it's great. I'm just sitting back drinking my beer going, I don't got to say anything. They're making the arguments for me. I mean, because, yeah, narrative through line, beginning to end, Captain America is the heart of this franchise. Thor is not. Yep. Yeah, I think, I think while it's, at least for me, while I will reiterate for the eighth time, that I think Thor is the most important Phase 1 movie to the Avengers, Captain America the First Avenger is the most important Phase 1 movie to the whole phase, and the most important Phase 1 movie to the Infinity Saga. And for that reason, Captain America gets my vote. This is not how I saw this going. Can I say that I want to put a pin on how wonderful it was to talk about five movies in the MCU without any fucking toxicity. <laughs> we're at I'm that serious. Tipping point. No, we're at that tipping point where we can still talk about Marvel movies without toxicity creeping in. No, but it will it will creep in because there's there's people out there that think of these as childish and stupid and not worthy of the conversation <laughs> that we just had. I was going to say, but, if you've been online at all this week, you know exactly but, what's going on with the yeah, right now. But, but at the same time, you know, it's really good to be able to talk, you know, about them in a pure, just like, we didn't have a preconceived notion. Like, I did not see that going that way at all, and I thought that was wonderful. I definitely didn't even think of Thor being in the final, but... Uh, just to be clear, it's because important. It's always it always has to be unanimous. We all are in agreement that Captain America is the winner. Oh, right? hands down. And I didn't think it was going to go that way when we first started talking. Like I was really trying to lock into my brain. You you really gave a great argument for, but you're you're talking about what you like about it, how it makes you feel. Tell tell like why is it better than Thor? And it's like shit. We got to find that point. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like. Because it's there. 
It has to be. And I think at the end of the day, you finally, you you drew me over with that idea of what Captain America means to the entire MCU. Like, it was just a, it was just like a, a side thing you said that got my brain exploding with, with that aspect. And this is, this is what making podcasts, and this is where I think the, the genius of these Smackdowns is, is it never, we, none of us could write this script. This is the perfection of an off-the-cuff podcast is we can't don't go into this knowing how this is going to play off. It's almost improv. Yeah. As for the toxicity thing, first of all, yes, I totally agree. Because after Endgame came out, like after like a a month afterwards, I couldn't talk MCU with anybody. It made me really sad because I loved Endgame, but the conversation around it got really bad. And (laughs) we can't have nice things. We just can't have nice things. I know that, for instance, with us, and don't say anything, Ulrich, uh, we will have at least one movie where basically Chris and I are going to have to have a conversation and always going to have to sit in a corner because that's okay. But <laughs> there's nothing toxic there. Like that's just a genuine person doesn't like this movie and has good points. So it's, it's going to uh, be fun. It's a more, it's a little more uh, vitriolic than that. Is the only but it's I'm not, thinking. it's not like, it's not going to be talking to someone whose um, entire persona is Joker. <laughs> do you know what i mean no it's different well, phase two part two is going to be interesting because phase two is a real mixed bag for me phase, phase two is rocky and we're gonna have fun record, i'm gonna i'm gonna hypothesize right now uh, i don't want to like poison the well or anything but i wouldn't be surprised honestly if captain america took every phase there's a good because chance it's the best trilogy and Chris Evans is really good, and the supporting there are, cast there are is really contenders, good. And I'm curious how the arguments are going to come out. I'm just saying, at this point, I can see that happening. <laughs> There's one of the three that I don't think take their phase, but I'm going to hold that and we'll come Oh, that's up. right. All yeah. oh, phase two is. Mm. No, be sure to tune in for part two because part two, I, I, I hadn't thought about it. Phase two has got some real gems. Phase two has some home run swingers in it. It's going to be nuts. <laughs> anyway, uh, we've been talking. Actually, we didn't go that long. I thought we'd go longer, but we were in a lot of agreement, although we still got to have great conversation. So, yeah, Cap America is our, our pick, the Geeks with Shields pick for a quintessential phase one movie. Um, thank you, Chris, for coming on and talking with us again. Oh, you're very welcome. And as always, this is the point where we give you the special soapbox that I'm, you're very familiar with at this point, where you can plug whatever you want to plug. Ho, ho, ho. I'm a guy that does lots of things. Um, my favorite things that I do are with these guys. So you should find all the episodes I'm on with them and find all of the stuff they do with me. Um, we do a bunch of Warhammer stuff and a bunch of other fun stuff over on my show. That show's called Shooting the Shit. I also do the Chipman Brothers Tangent with my brother, Movie Bob. Um, I do Creating Geeks with my wife, where we talk about things from our childhood um, that we would want to share with our children, whether it be movies or places we went. And um, my personal, personal favorite, just because of how many people it's been able to bring in the Talkbuster podcast where I talk about the video rental industry, which I worked in for eight years. Um, and I have an episode that will probably have aired by the time this one did. So I'm going to plug it here. This will be the first time I've ever talked about it on the air. Alan Payne, who was Blockbuster's most successful franchisee and is the only person that was basically there from the very beginning till the very end because they changed CEOs and everything, wrote a book 
called Built to Fail, all about the actual reason why Blockbuster failed. And it's not the reason anybody thinks. He was the guy who ran the uh, Alaska stores that closed right before the Bend, Oregon stores. He reached out to me and he was on my show. And it is one of the very best interviews I've ever done. So listen Mm. to that Talkbuster podcast with Alan Payne. Buy his book. It's fantastic. And it's a quick read. Um, If you like things that are video-based, I do a show called This Made the Chippa, which by the time this came out, its fourth episode should have aired. It's going through every year of my life, starting in 1984, and talking about movies and current events from that year in the context of either where I saw them for the first time or just me looking back and going, holy crap, that happened during my lifetime. Um, It's awesome. My favorite band's lead singer, Krista Makes, wrote my theme song. It's a happy, quick, ska, fun, insane thing. Um, And I just really, really enjoy making stuff. Also, um, Shooting the Shit, which the Eagles guys have been on, I created a segment with my friend Stefan called Fighting Films. That's become so popular, and he had so much fun doing it, that he brought his friend Jess in, and we're turning it into its own show. It's going to be produced by them, so um, Fighting Films Pod, Um, if you can find that. But there's going to be a Patreon eventually. The first episode is actually releasing today when we're recording this. Um, we're doing Red Eye versus Flight Plan. Um, we have some older episodes that we're going to re-release in this format. And uh, just get on over there and check that out because we're having a blast making it, especially since I don't have to do all the work. <laughs> I'm the Chippa. The Chippa made this. Search for it. And... Um, I can't wait to meet these guys. We're coming at you from two different coasts. And by the wonders of technology, I'm able to be on their show all the time. So that's great. Praise the Omnisaya. Yes. <laughs> all right, all right. Outro. All right. Well, we'll thank you for listening. Be sure to like, share, subscribe, do all things, especially that subscribe part, because if you want to be here for part two, and trust me, you're going to want to be here for part two, because part two is not going to go as smoothly as part one. Then make sure you click that subscribe button and share this with a friend, because... I'm I'm curious. What do you think the quintessential Phase One movie is? And if you say, uh, you know, Iron Man, which is what I thought we were gonna uh, say, I'm not gonna blame you. <laughs> I still believe I still will stand behind what we decided today. But just saying, open, good, healthy conversation. Anyway, whatever you're listening to us on right now, whether that be SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, Podcast, Spotify, or iHeartRadio, thanks. And if there's any other platform you'd rather us be on that would be more convenient for you or easier for you, tell us what it is and we'll look into it. As always, this has been Lord Commander Ulrich. And his shield brother, Axel Wright. Be sure to tune in next time. And as always, stay honorable.